Hello there, welcome. This is a special edition of To a Certain Degree called Odd Numbers. Every other Monday, my guest and I choose a theme, we play some music, and we chat. There are tangents, but there's also murder? The topic for this episode is literary crimes, and my guest is Ryan Rivas. Who better to talk about literary crimes than the publisher of Borough Press? He reads books, he prints books, he sells books. I assume this makes him an expert on literary crimes, so that's why I had him on. Turns out I was half right. For more on this episode, please visit toacertaindegree.com. And now, on with the show. Carl Denson on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Actually, Carl Denson's Tiny Universe from their album New Ammo. That was Hang Me Out to Dry. Good morning. My name is Nick. You're listening to Odd Numbers on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. I'm here every week, and every week I have a very special guest, returning guests on occasion, like today, with Ryan Rivas. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Nick. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for waking up early. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for suggesting the topic of which we'll talk, we'll speak of which today... I'm not sure. My grammar's terrible. Yeah, it's a well, good thing you're not. I'm awake right now. So. It's a good thing you're not in publishing <laughs> or anything. But, oh, I'm uh, silently judging you. We're, uh, I hope so. <laughs> just like everybody else. Actually, most of the people listening are not silently judging. They're yelling oh, yeah, directly yeah. into their radio. So good. I should call in. Uh, the topic for today: literary crimes. I thought this would be fun. You suggested it. Mm-hmm. Sounded great. Because on paper. I, on paper uh, that was a crime in and of itself <laughs> and i've got some music to go along with that theme so hang me out to dry obviously there's a lot of betrayal when it comes to literary crimes and things mm-hmm. of that nature i'm often thinking when you suggested literary crime i actually went with more of the uh, con artists and mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing i started thinking about damon runyon and some of the characters that he has so we'll talk all about that Nice. But, uh, yeah, so some people suggested I talked to a few people who, once they saw the topic, uh, there was a lot of uh, Sherlock Holmes, for example. Oh, he's on my list. Uh, yep. It's the most conventional choice, I should say, but perhaps the most unconventional of Holmes. Stories? Yeah, Holmesania. What do you call the collection slash cultish rituals around, Reagan, around oh. Arthur Conan Doyle? I don't know. Holmesian. 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 Home boys. Holmes, Holmes boys. boys. Yes. He is Let's a, do that one. He's a dude's dude, isn't he? <laughs> Just slightly. Also, I'm super into opium. Yes. <laughs> Who isn't? I mean, we so. all grew up in the 1880s, you know, for the most part. So it was very easy to get and get addicted to. You took it for almost everything. It's true. You know? It's true. Whether you had diphtheria or the shakes uh, or the melting disease Mm-hmm. The melting disease. The old so melting disease. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that's what I took it for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. That's one. No, of that's fine. I think we'll do that quite a bit. So <laughs> before we start, the reason you're here and the reason you're talking about literary crimes, you don't have to say, you, there's other things that you do besides literary things, but you are in charge of Borough Press here yeah. in town. So if people want to learn more about the only literary Press in Florida, probably this. No, but one of the one of a handful. One of a handful. Okay, in Orlando. For How sure. many fingers do you have, Nick? Several. There's less than that. 
of literary presses. Literary presses. People can learn more at Burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W. Yeah. Press.com. They can learn about the subscription, which is a really, it's an amazing, not only deal, but it helps support the press and support the artists who work with you. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's pretty neat that you could do a subscription for a reasonable amount of money, get four books mailed to you over the course of the year, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. things of that nature. And the first book will be coming out soon. Yeah, this month. Yeah. yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that. Having worked with Susan Lilly on Pachacacha last year and then having interviewed her for the downtown community paper, she's amazing. Yes, yeah, she is. She's so, our city's poet laureate, which yeah. is pretty rad. Um, and yeah, her, her poetry book uh, is... I mean, it speaks for itself, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, if you if you go to that website, then you'll find out everything that we do. We do events as well and online publishing as well. So just explore, you know, spend a day there. Spend the whole day. Well, there's a lot of uh, really good stories there as well that you don't have to read the books. And then I think you have the first chapter of an upcoming book mm -hmm. on you as well. Yeah, so and there's usually you know, there's usually little excerpt links from all the books yeah. too, at least on the book pages. So there's lots of there's lots of free stuff. Go you know, there, go often, go early and often. Go early and often. It is early right now. It is. So being that it's 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. and we're talking about literary crimes, let's go with the darkest one you have. Good call. Yeah. <clears throat> so my, my first choice, and I think it was the first one that popped into my head, um, is from Roberto Bologna's 2666. 2666, as some people call it. Okay. I prefer to call it 2666. Um, and uh, it's a very large book. Um, and Are you talking about length and breadth? Yeah. Are you talking about width and height? All of the dimensions. All of the dimensions, um, okay. Volume. Let's just talk volume here. Okay. Uh, the, it has a, it's, yeah. So, see, I, I can't get that far into science without just... Hitting a dead end with you know, three <laughs> words, um, so original and so it's a it's a novel broken up into what you could argue are five novellas, like a novel in novellas kind of deal. Okay, and um, each one could be read on its own in a way, but there are lots of threads um, that that, ties that, that bleed into others. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and so very ambitious work. Yeah, and and the particular one that came uh, to mind was called, I thought it was called in my mind when we were talking about this idea, the part about the bodies, um, but it turns out that it's called the part about the crimes, and that's really on the nose, but whatever. Um, and so in that book, um, well, I should say that when I first read this book, uh, I had a fever, and I was sick. It might have been the swine flu, uh, and this would have been about, oh, my gosh. It would have been about 10 years ago that I yeah. read this book. Yeah, that was a um, big swine flu time. So, yeah. Everywhere. And, um, yeah, the housing market crashed. The swine flu yeah. was going through. We didn't think there was a future. And here we are. Here we are. I mean, you know, clearly something happened. Yeah. That tilted the uh, trajectory of, you know, Everything. the world and yeah. the arc of justice and whatnot. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, I really, it made me really want to reread the book, um, thinking about all these books that I haven't read for 10 years. Um, so this was like a you were reading it in the middle of a fever dream. Yeah, but it was it's the perfect kind of book to do that, and um, and you know it's about eight hundred pages, and so I didn't have anything to do. So 
for it was like I just re- it was one of those books that not only is it appropriate for this conversation, but like it's one of those where you remember where you were and like yeah. you also remember like just the full on experience of it. Um, like so many parts are vivid in my mind, and um, and yet I was also you know hallucinating practically. I think the fever enhanced the read is my point. Although I wouldn't recommend intentionally getting a fever and reading this book. Um, I, well. I wonder if that's an experiential sort of reading process that you should convey to your readers of Borough Press. Like, for example, mm-hmm. for Susan Lilly's book, what we probably don't want them to be sick. No, no, no. So let's put that out there. That's an interesting idea, though. Yeah. But what should they be outdoors? Should they be mm-hmm. in a tree? I think outdoors is, is good for, for Susan's outdoors yeah. or, you know, maybe like... Um, I'm only thinking of interesting states that one could read a book in, not appropriate for Susan's per se, but that's because my mind doesn't go to the serious things first. It's just I'm thinking of like, yeah. you know, take the take the gallon of milk challenge and read something, Clockwork Orange. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So All right, anyway, on. let's get back to this. Really, yes. se- It's actually really serious. And also another reason why I picked this um, is because a couple of weeks ago, there's a piece in the Times called Someone is Always Trying to Kill You about the femicide that's happening in Honduras right now mm-hmm. and in the other um, Northern Triangle countries. But but specifically, like, and it is it is a Latin American trope, I suppose, of this essentially, like, ultra-violence against women. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a long piece that I do recommend by Sonia Nazario. It's in the Times magazine. Um, I'll repeat the title. It's Someone is Always Trying to Kill You. And it's essentially about what's happening um, to women in Honduras and also, you know, provides some context for our larger issues and whatnot. In 2666, in the part about the crimes, um, there's essentially this femicide happening in the city of Santa Teresa, Mexico, which is a fictional city based on Ciudad Juarez, um, which was sort of made headlines for a little while for these violent murders that kept happening to, kept happening to women. These bodies would be coming up, mm-hmm. mutilated, ter- terrible, terrible things. We won't go into that detail um, at 7 in the morning um, on a radio show. Um, you know, sorry, commuters. But that's the basis for this novella within the novel. It follows a detective who's trying to solve these crimes um, among a few other threads. And so the detective is sort of on this beat and these bodies keep coming up and we get, it's like over a hundred different murders. Um, and there's essentially like a hundred police report style descriptions within like sort of peppered in between the plot of these murdered women. And, um, I chose it because, because of the impact it had stylistically. Um, I've read a lot of crime and detective novels, but, like, none that are so, like, visceral and real, you know? Um, and none that are trying to do... None that are, like, working on a on a, on a a sort of craft level to, like, impact the reader and make the reader feel something. If this is elevated. It's not a crime novel. It's not a detective novel. It's just, you know... And um, just through the simple device of repetition, of repeating, you know, these crimes over and over again and these just descriptions, it creates this... Nuance, this this sort of like wild ride of emotions. So at first you read the descriptions and you're like, you feel shock. And then you get more narrative of the detective and he's, you know, kind of on the trail. You almost feel like you're in his shoes. 
And then you start to notice patterns in the descriptions. Oh, like, you know, um, things done to the bodies or things found at the scene. And um, you discover that most of the women are, are some of the most vulnerable people in the area. They're, they're poor women who work at the maquiladoras, which are essentially sweatshops um, along the border. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see these patterns. And then you think, oh, we're like in a traditional detective novel here. You know, somebody's going to say, we're going to solve this. Um, and then more and more descriptions pile on. Um, the plot in terms of finding a suspect doesn't go anywhere. And you start to kind of feel hopeless when these description, descriptions come up. You dread them, right? And then towards the end, by you know like the hundredth description, you become desensitized to them. Or when I say you, I'm speaking of my experience right. um, of reading it. Um, and so in this way, um, you kind of end up fully, fully in the shoes of the detective in, in the sense that, like, you feel the same hopelessness. Um, you feel, and you go through, you kind of go through the motions with the character. Um, and, and that, to me, feels like uh, a sort of journey through emotions that <clears throat> you don't usually get in crime novels and also usually, like, there's a culprit that's like caught. Well, yeah, it's, it's generally uh, solving something. There's some satisfaction on one level or another, uh, typically in the crime novels. But for that, it just seems. And so, was that character the detective? Uh, was that character? Did, did he appear in other parts of the book? No, this was, this was his. Four. If he did, if he did, it was not as like a central character. Yeah. Um, but he is sort of the central character of this book among a couple others, but it, it's very much about, um, you know, and in a way, like it's also about the central character or the women, um, because you can't ignore a hundred vignettes, you know, that's, it's really, it's just, it's almost like you can't tell, you can't tell the novel, uh, you can't tell the story. You can't write the novel without this bit in there. Um, given that it is surrounding this sort of like border land, this area, and there's larger questions in the novel about you know evil and and things like that, mm-hmm. um, but always on a on a sort of more gritty, realistic level. And this is sort of the embodiment of that. It's not a, a flighty novel necessarily, but um, but yeah. So that was a that was quite a had quite an impact when I read it, and for such a simple technique like yeah. to, it was. Have you read it again since then? No, I would like to though. It's just so long. Yeah, and so it's a, it's going to be a commitment. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to find carve out a little time next time. I have a fever, maybe. Just <laughs> wait for that yeah. and have it ready to oh, go. There's the thermometer. Yeah. <laughs> there's the medicine. There's the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever find when you reread a book that it, it you, because this was such an experience for you? So mm-hmm. we often talk about when you read a book when you're a kid. Um, and I'll talk about one of those a little later on. Um, but say a different one, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So mm-hmm. I read that when I was a kid. It affected and influenced and uh, spoke to a lot of how I think about humor and how I think about science fiction and writing and things of that nature. Um, and I can't remember if I went back and reread it. I know I've tried to introduce my kids to it mm-hmm. for sure. But oftentimes I feel like, oh, because I'm not the same person. Um, then it doesn't have the same meaning. In, in some cases, I'm almost disappointed mm-hmm. uh, by the books later on. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have that feeling when you go back and read a book? I or think reread so. a book, I should say? I think that that has happened. I'll try to think of an example. But yeah, I think what you're getting at is this 
the sense of surprise or novelty in reading something. Yeah, the wonder that, is definitely gone. Yeah. Um, and so um, I very much believe that, you know, I have a whole shelf full of books that blew my mind that don't really blow my mind anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're the books that are sort of formative because, one, because hopefully they're they're good in, in, in the sense that they have some kind of content and style and, and craftsmanship that, that forms you as a writer and reader, but also um, because of when you read them. So like the books right. that I read as a young man, um, you know, Two years ago. which I still don't, I don't think I've hit man, man yet. I think I'm still <laughs> a young man. I don't know. Or just a boy trapped in a man's body. But, um, but so that's most of us. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think that that's natural, honestly. Yeah. Um, and so a book that, you know, blows your mind at one point, it blows your mind for oftentimes for reasons of set and setting as Timothy Leary would say, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's only natural for that to happen. So I'm curious about this one for you since it did blow your mind. Yeah. To an extent. Yeah. And this one's so multifaceted and, you know, I, I really hope it, I really hope it does hold up. And also, you know, 10 years ago, I wasn't, a, I wasn't necessarily a young man, but, um, and, and I've, you know, I've read lots of Bologna's work since, um, and reread some of his books, and so I think I think it'll be good. I think it'll hold up. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's play a song. Okay. Okay. Take a little break, and we will play some White Stripes. This seems appropriate. In the Cold, Cold Night. Mm. I'm WPRK, Warren Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. The 28th Annual Orlando International Fringe Theater Festival that's the entire name, from May 24th through the 27th, 2019, is coming up and to a certain degree will be there. We, and by we, I mean I, will have a table set up in the lobby of the Rep. I'll be there on all the busy nights, the busiest of nights. Well, Nick, you ask, what are you going to be doing there? Why should I stop by? I'm so glad you asked that. This is the Fringe Feels table. I'll have typewriters, I'll have writing utensils, and I will have a variety of cards and paper items. Type or write a thank you note to the performers, to the volunteers, to the festival staff. It's free and you get to show your gratitude to everyone there who puts on one of the best events in Central Florida. You don't have to worry about your terrible handwriting. You can type it. If you have great handwriting, great. Maybe you want to draw something, you can do that too. I'll have all sorts of things. As I mentioned, writing utensils, which I don't know if that's a phrase that people use. Stay up to date, follow Card and Fast on Instagram. Dates and such will be posted there. Now back to the show. White Stripes on WPRK in Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. That was in the cold, cold night. Yeah, how'd that sound? It sounded great. Great. I like the little scratching you did on the, the CD. I do like to scratch a little bit. Now, it's harder to do with CDs because they're moving so quickly. Yeah. And yeah. they're inside a thing and there's a laser. I know. So I've never you have to seen be really careful. Do that before. Well, yeah. yeah, we try to be uh, innovative. Yeah. Here on not only WPRK, but Odd Numbers. Good morning, my name is Nick. 
I'm here with Ryan Muniz. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Nick. Thank you for being here. You're welcome, Nick. If anyone misses <laughs> part of the show, I appreciate that because I often forget to introduce myself because I'm not mm. the important one here. Mm. You are. The guest is. Oh, I thought you meant the royal you, like the audience. The, I thought it was the, the audience. The audience is 100% important as well. All five people listening right now, mm. incredibly important. If you missed any of the show, you can find it You're at welcome. to a certain <laughs> degree. Dot com. It'll be up uh, by Tuesday of next week. I think I'm going to do right. uh, to a certain degree Tuesday. So oh, yes, because it's TACD Tuesday instead of Taco Tuesday. It's mm-hmm. a long way to go. Think awesome. Some I'm trying to make a backronym, which is a word I just learned last night, backronym. less than 24 hours ago. Yeah. What is that? It's. I think I might have misunderstood what it means, okay. but like it's sort of when you have. Uh, the, the example I was given was like an Amber Alert, like it's named after the girl named Amber, but the when they implemented the law, they essentially took the AMBR uh, and created an they acronym. They applied it after yeah. the fact. Yeah. Got it. Ex post facto, therefore, et cetera. Okay. Ergo. Item. I wanted to talk a little bit about, so we're talking about literary crimes. We are. I'm a big sci-fi guy. Mm-hmm. So crimes of the future. So we often talk about education. I was in uh, the education realm for a while. We talk about jobs of the future, jobs that don't exist yet. What about crimes? Are we ready for crimes related to future technology in some cases, right? Is anyone working on a uh, way to hotwire a driverless car, for example? A smart home. How to get around that or how to murder your smart home. Ah, uh, yeah. Because yeah. maybe that is something that you're going to want to do. What corporations, since they're people now? How do we kill men? How do we? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but it got me thinking about, did you ever watch uh, Star Trek The Next Generation? I didn't. I'm not huge on the sci-fi, but I do have a sci-fi pick later. So one thing that happened uh, during it is they have this thing called the holodeck. Mm-hmm. And you could recreate whatever you wanted, including scenes from famous books and such. And so... Very famously, or within the show, uh, they would create Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. Mm -hmm. And so they accidentally made Moriarty this holodeck, this hologram version of Moriarty, uh, became (laughs) self-aware. Sounds like Black Mirror. So, you know, they worked, they essentially created the Moriarty artificial intelligence. So I was just thinking about that because Moriarty is this this archetype, this classic enemy who is as smart as the protagonist, mm-hmm. right? right? And he's evil, but is he, or does he just want to be entertained? So there's been a lot of different representations of Moriarty uh, over the years, mm-hmm. including this one on Star Trek: The Next Generation which I should sound more literary when we're doing literary crimes, but I'm going to go ahead and reference Star Trek The Next Generation. It's fine. <laughs> but I know that uh, Arthur Conan Doyle had a lot of uh, not only novels around Sherlock Holmes, but a lot of short stories mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. Formulaic for the most part. Yeah, but addictive. I've been reading yeah. them recently, actually. It's fun. It's like a bedtime read. So uh, Eddie Sullivan from Pachacacha mentioned a couple of his favorite, The Speckled oh. Band. Mm-hmm. And the Hound of, what is it? The Hound of the Baskervilles. Baskervilles. Yeah. And so obviously he's very much into the animal-related ones. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Eddie. <laughs> Which, I mean, using animals as the murder and you know weapon mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. You know, pretty interesting and, uh, you know. 
you know, I guess one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is so the hounds arrow. We could, uh, you could teach me how oh, to get away so. with murder. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You so know, we'll work on that off the air. Yeah, yeah, off the air. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for announcing that. <laughs> um, so, Sherlock Holmes, what was one of uh, yours? So, um, preface to my choice is that having read, I don't know, like not long ago, maybe a few years ago, a lot of the catalog, you know, Hound of the Baskervilles, um, Study in Scarlet, um, and then a little bit more recently, some of the short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, it's hard for me to remember all, like, the central crimes. Like, they kind of, they either, like, blend together or kind of fade away. And that's not necessarily a criticism. I think it's also has to do with, again, like, where I am when I'm reading it, which is, like, before bed. Uh, but um, the one, my choice is the one that, like, shocked me in a way, like, um, in terms of its structure. I wasn't expecting it, and um, and I was just with it all the way through. It's called, I think it might, I don't know if it's the last book or it's one of the later books. It's a novel called uh, Sherlock Holmes in the Valley of Fear. And it's essentially two books in one. What happens is there's the crime, there's the setup, um, you know, in which uh, Watson is like, and upon this night, we sat amid, you know, smoking opium and doing whatever, when someone came to the door, and it was a most outrageous crime, and that kind of thing happens, you know, it's a big setup. Someone is killed in a castle that is um, surrounded by a moat, you know, out kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, and they're found, you know, in, in their, like, study, um, and it's kind of a gruesome one, too, like, you can't really, they don't, you know, it's subtle in its way of describing it, but you, know, you cannot identify the body, mm-hmm. like who it is. Um, and, you know, the the castle or manor, I don't know what these Brits are with their properties. The castle manor. Castle manor uh, estate uh, was, you know, occupied. It was the, the, the man's wife. Uh, so supposedly it was the owner of the castle, right? His wife was there. The servants were there. They reported a sound, et cetera. Nobody knows how anybody got in to get this guy and, and how this guy ended up dead. Um, so Sherlock Holmes comes in, long story short, yada, 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 solves the case. Upon solving the case, I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it, um, we discover, you know, we meet a character who kind of tells us, um, who gives us essentially the explanation for how all this stuff happened. So, like, Holmes figures out what was going on, and then this character gives us this backstory. Mm-hmm. And then there is essentially, and, and part of the backstory is that this character who's been killed came, you know, was pretty successful in America where he went and, like, worked in this, like, coal town, essentially. Um, creepy coal towns, just super gloomy and noir... Um, under the control of these like sort of semi masonic esque lodges um, that have you know groups of assassins essentially they're the mob they just run things in the coal towns and um, and so everyone lives in fear there it's the valley of fear and so th- essentially the novel breaks from England and the castle and Sherlock Holmes as the narrator and it becomes a story of this guy who goes to the Valley of Fear mm-hmm. and, you know, comes up. He's already, he's already kind of a, he was like, 
in some kind of union in Chicago and something really bad happened and he's trying to get away and he was a member of this lodge so he joins the lodge there and realizes that there are a bunch of murderous you know nut jobs and it's this just whole other separate self-contained novel and it's so moody and more like and and good that I was just like whoa what what is this I was it's almost like a weird bonus and or that, nothing know, to do with nothing to do with Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. I, can't, I think maybe Watson is technically like the peripheral narrator of it, but he is, disappears for most of it. Um, if any, he, he may come back at the end to like wrap it up, but I'm, I'm not even sure that he does. Um, and certainly, I expected like a frame. Oh, we're going to go back to England, and Sherlock's going to say something, and whatever. Uh, he doesn't. That's it. Book over. Um, mm. And I thought that was super cool. And just I think the atmospherics of it, um, it on the on the Sherlock side of the coin, it was just a great. It was one of the better Sherlock stories I think. Um, the crime was sort of like interesting and all that stuff. But then on the other half, it was just this whole other thing. And together, it just had this impact on me. I was like, wow, like it was almost like Psycho, and when the protagonist dies and. You know, we follow a different protagonist halfway through the movie. Yeah. Um, like, it was a it was an interesting turn. Although there's resolution first, and then you get the second story. Really, it's like a two for one novel. But anyway, um, just how everything was put together really really stuck with me. And it wasn't necessarily the crime itself, um, which I would have to spoil in order to sort of, you know. If I reverse engineered the the body, so the character shot. in the second part, in the second story, yeah, was only a very small part of the first story. Is that right, or did this? So what Correct. I'm trying to understand: the main character of the second story was a small part of the first so story. Was it giving more context to the first story? Did you feel like you understood the first story better after having read the second? It was almost like. Um, it was almost like a spin-off in a oh, way. Okay. Um, because the you know, the central plot around the first story was the crime and Sherlock Holmes solving the crime. Um, but now, you know, as in a lot of the stories, like the there's some there's some background stuff lurking underneath, like people are looking yeah. for this guy, there's this secret society or something. You get the hints of that. Um, and then you get, you know, the hint that, oh, this guy was involved in you know, there was something in his journals or something about the Valley of Fear, and there's these little hints, you know. Um, and so those things never needed to be revealed or illuminated, but the second part of the novel does that, talks about this Masonic-ish lodge. My apologies to Masons. Um, but, you know, that's my go-to there. So stop having lodges if you don't want to be grouped in with the... Uh, anyway, um, and... Uh, it, it essentially illuminates this whole other world, and it's also like in America, which is interesting. And um, and yeah, it's it's not necessary to the previous story, but it's like one of those things where if you if you did want the backstory, um, you could get it, and here it is. It's right there. And also, I was skeptical at first too, because I'm skeptical of like flashbacks and backstory, and like, oh, we're just gonna get some. No, I was like, oh, this is just going on and on, and this is an interesting story in its own right. And so I wonder. Actually, maybe somebody can call in a Holmes scholar. Um, you know how it was published and presented at first, because I've got just like the complete Sherlock. So I don't even I don't know how it was originally published as like a two part novel or a, you know 
One of those things where you flip serialized stories. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, if they'd been written separately and published separately, who knows? But um, that was a cool one. I, I, I really dig that one. I like the idea of, you know, when you're writing sometimes the character takes you in a different direction than you expected. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of somebody sitting down writing a mystery and being done with it but going, you know, but maybe I just want to explore this part a little bit more. So I don't yeah. know if it was based on fact or, mm-hmm. you know, an exaggerated version of what maybe Doyle was reading in, um, mm-hmm. uh, in the newspapers and things mm-hmm. of that nature mm-hmm. and just decided to go on that tangent. Yeah. yeah that's really yeah, I cool. Know there's some stuff that affected his writing and real-life stuff. Um, and one of the short stories I read recently, I hope there's a sequel to it, because it, it involved, like, the clan. Mm-hmm. Like, this guy was being, like, tracked down. He was, like... And it's so funny to, like, ha- ha- be an American and read it. And, like, it was another one of those sort of, like, secret society vibes. Like, oh, oh who's, yeah. who's after him? Yeah. There's three Ks, a K. K. And, um, and I was like, oh, my God, I know what this is. Come on. Um, it's an American organization. <laughs> like, okay. And, but the thing that made me angry was that they kind of get away. Like, there's no resolution to it. First of all, guy, uh, why? And um, a bit lazy, don't you think, old chap? Um, But, uh, yeah, end of tangent. (laughs) Regarding Holmes or Doyle using stuff from the news. That one made me mad. Don't read that one. Something about, like, the... Some of the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when you have a character that repeats, like... Sherlock Holmes does. I can't remember how many stories and how many books were written about him, mm-hmm. uh, specifically by Doyle, but you know, you want it to be consistent and you want it to be the same, and sometimes it's almost maddeningly so, right? Mm-hmm. Like the setup is always the same. They're sitting around and somebody mm-hmm. comes and tells me the story and they tell them the story, and you know, he obviously takes mm-hmm. the case for the most yeah, part. Yeah. Um, but it's but there's a comfort in that as well, and I think that's why that particular character has stood up so long, because mm-hmm. you know what he stands for, even if uh, in television and other things that they kind of represent him a little bit differently here and there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still about, you know, some part of us that we want to be. It's a roguish character in some cases. Yeah, yeah. But he's still solving crime and doing good. Yeah, I like the... I like the portrayal of him as this sort of like socially awkward um perhaps a little on the spectrum uh version in Sherlock and the, the BBC show yeah um Benedict Cumberbatch could is was in I believe it is in the Valley of Fear um novel that where he's described simply it says it all and this is you know just like succinctness for you uh Watson is like Holmes, who is not prone to friendship. Something, something, something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that that about sums it up. Not prone to friendship. <sighs> oh, Holmes. What do we do now, Nick? Let's play a new song. Okay. Willie Bobo, uh, from his album Talking Verve. This is Evil Ways on WPR. Not all crime is evil. Yeah, that's true. And some of it's just crime. <laughs> Giveaways on WPRK in Winnie Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. I don't want to freak you out or anything, but Mother's Day is coming up. If you would like to get some recommendations on finding the best gift from local businesses, 
for the most important woman in your life on a fake holiday, head over to toacertaindegree.com. I put together a guide for you, just, just for you. One example that you'll find on this list, get her set up with projects of her own at a maker space like Maker FX. It'll be worth it to see mom's eyes light up when she realizes everything she can do with lasers, a CNC machine, and 3D printers. The family membership is just $75 a month, and there are individual classes as well. Check out MakerFX, the letter F, the letter X, dot org for more. Back to the show. Willie Bobo on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, with a cover of Evil Ways. Good morning. My name is Nick. You're listening to Odd Numbers. I'm here every week from 7 to 9 a.m. Every week, a very special guest, in some cases, returning guests, and I have one of those, of, of those people. I have returned. Yeah. Hi, Ryan Revis of Borough Press, and you can find uh, more about Borough Press at boroughpress.com. B-U-R-R. O-W-Press.com. Yes. I like it. I do that. I like how you jump in there. I repeat the R-R as you, or I say the R-R as you say it so we can create a, a double R. Uh, we should roll the R's. In the, yeah. Burro. Burro. Press. Uh, you have a few events coming up that I wanted to talk about. One would be the release of the new book. Yeah. From um, uh, Susan Lee, mm-hmm. the laureate of Orlando Venus in Retrograde. Yeah. And so that's coming out on April 30th. You can get that by itself, but really what I would recommend, and I have done this in the past, is get a subscription to Borough Press. You get all four books that you'll be publishing this year at a very special price, and they'll be delivered to your door. Yeah. If you have a door, I'm making some assumptions here. They'll be delivered to your mailbox. Again, if you have a mailbox, I'm not really sure what it is that all people have. But uh, if you want to learn more... Uh, to your person. To your, to your human person. Mm-hmm. Mm, still, again, making assumptions. Uh, if you want to get more literary in general, uh, Tuesday, May 7th is a good time to do that. Uh, 8 p.m. at Little Indies is the May edition of Loose Lips. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that Borough Press now does. Yeah, we do that every month. That's yep. a monthly monthly deal. Sometimes we'll do a, we'll, we'll veer from the theme. Um, last month we celebrated a couple of new books out by an Orlando author and a Jacksonville author. Um, but for the most part, we inherited this reading series from Todd Cavanis, and he started it uh, with the idea that uh, writers would uh, read or sh- you know share something, poetry or prose or stand-up or whatever, um, based on the last 30 days of news. So that's the premise. And uh, for the May edition, uh, our, our glorious leader, Todd Cavanis, is coming back to town to host. Oh, great. Um, we normally pick, um, normally, and, you know, after Todd left, uh, you know, how can you replace Todd? So we thought we would do it every month with a different host. So typically the format is we pick a different host and they pick the readers. So it's a sort of anti-hierarchical um, deal. But um, but yeah, but Todd's coming back and so he gets to do it every month and it's going to be a great night. Um, yeah, every first Tuesday. That's Loose Lips. Yep. And that's a Little Wendy's. And if you've never been to Little Wendy's, it's a great venue. It's a great venue for this event yeah, as well nice. because it's very intimate 
it's got a good sound system. It's got a good group of people who typically come to that. And there's, you know, generally some new people. It's not, it's it not. be you. Um, and I have. I did uh, January. Yeah, I mean, you, the royal audience. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah. All right, fine. Yeah. I know you've been there. You're looking right at me, so I assume you just... Well, where else am I going to look, Nick? Where else am I going to look at the fluorescent light? Okay, during whenever you're referencing the audience, okay. I want you to look at the fluorescent light. Got it. And I will, uh, I will let the... I will let you, the audience, know. <laughs> I just looked up, and now I'm blind. Yeah. That that's what's happening. Cool. All right. And then um, there are other events coming up. Yeah, May twenty. May I speak of them? Please. Yeah. Okay. That's it, I, you exactly. look like you were prepared. I saw you scrolling with intent. I I tried to pull this up because I feel like if people are making the effort to come on the show and be my friend, because you're my friend. Yes that I should promote uh, their stuff. So May 25th is a big one, speaking of the book from Susan Lilly, Venus in Retrograde. Yeah, so while, while the book comes out in April, we decided, uh, due to schedules and, I mean, how obvious to have an event in Poetry Month for a poetry book, that would just be too on the nose. So the book release party for Susan Lilly's Venus in Retrograde will happen on May, May? May 25th. May 25th. And Mead Garden. And they're, they're very kind enough to partners with us for this event like Mead Garden is a great space um we're doing sort of an afternoon soiree deal four to seven different a little different so Ooh, you can nice. go eat dinner afterwards you a know cotillion. a cotillion if you will yeah in the in the beautiful ballroom of Mead Garden if you haven't been in there uh recently they kind of they got some new stuff going on it's it's a pretty space and I'm happy to be working with them because they're good people that's fantastic uh, and the opening poem uh called Mating Season at the Botanical Garden uh, the opening poem in the book happens to be set at Mead Garden. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so when we talk about her being the poet laureate of Orlando, it's not just general poetry that she writes. She writes very specific poetry about Central Florida and the Orlando community. Yeah, and I don't know if that's what earned her the title, per se. Oh, no, the no, no, definitely not, Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But it so happens that, yeah, a lot of Susan's poems um, deal, at least in this collection, um, deal in, in the region. They kind of, a lot of them are about womanhood through all its stages, you know, girlhood, teenage years, uh, womanhood, etc. Um, and, um, and, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're autobiographical, but they are, the speaker is very much grounded in, in place, Mm -hmm. um, through through Central Florida, lots of Central Florida scenes in there, amid a few others, um, and yeah, yeah, they're good good poems. There's something that's not on the calendar. Too. I would love to hear about um, it. This is a this is some secret stuff. No, are it's we, not are secret. We breaking at all. news here. Breaking news. Sweet. Um, functionally literate. Um, we're bringing. We had one uh, in March, mm -hmm. which was amazing. Um, and uh, sp speaking of poetry, uh, so Elise Kuznets, who is a poet who passed away uh, a couple of years ago, um, she has a book coming out posthumously called Angel Bones. And uh, her partner, Brian Turner, is sort of spearheading this functionally literate um, as a multi-poet slash reader event um, presenting this book. Oh, so nice. there'll be lots of um, people there participating, reading poems from Elise's book. Um, and it's, if you haven't read it, it's out now. It's fantastic. It's called Angel Bones. So do that. Do yourself a favor. Um, and that'll be on June 12th at the Shakespeare, Lounge Shakespeare Center. Uh, 
So that's them. And then, then we'll probably take a little hiatus. We'll still be doing loose lips throughout the summer. Right. But we'll probably take a little hiatus from events until uh, the fall. Uh, the fall. Back September. Yeah, we have Shane's book is coming out. I've got something in the works for that, as well as a visiting author that we're most likely going to pair him with that's super exciting. But um, And then Shane's book officially comes out in the summer. So it's a, it's a good summer read if you want to read something that's like The Road meets... Uh, Daniel Holmes, like, absurdist fictions. So, if you want to read a surreal, post-apocalyptic, deadpan, bleak novel, and yes, you do, set in somewhere in Florida, uh, that'll be... That'll be a uh, that's a beach read. It's a good beach read. That's the one. And Shane, what's the what's his name? Shane Hinton. Hinton. Yeah, and the novel's called Radio Dark. And you can read the first chapter of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's the, the one. We have a, a nice excerpt from that. So, so if you go to yeah. borrowpress.com, see, you can read that <coughs> right now. How long has Borough Press been around? Oh, Lord. Um, because in, in some capacity, for we're gonna, next year will be our 10th year. Yeah, so it's always interesting to hear from people that don't realize that, you know, we have a lot of things going on culturally here, whether it's... Uh, something like Borough Press or the Pachaca Cha series, mm-hmm. Orlando mm-hmm. Story Club, so storytelling in general, but also things like Orlando, uh, Maker for Orlando and things like that. So constantly having to reintroduce those or talk about those yeah. um, and being a cheerleader for 10 years mm-hmm. uh, of that, of publishing in the literary scene of Orlando, mm-hmm. um, that's pretty amazing. So mm-hmm. thank you for... Thank you for everything you do, oh, Ryan Ravis. You know. I just want to give you a big hug on the air, but we're not going to because the mics will get in the way and it'll be confusing and awkward. Yeah, that's okay. Later. Great. So let's play a song. We're at the end of the first hour already. Are we really? Yeah, it flies by. I'm a joy to talk to. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So I uh, picked this song. Next hour, we're going to play music that is more... Music to commit crimes to. Oh. So let's end with this one. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins. We only come out at night. Oh, nice. Because I, there's something about the dark and crime and well, noir and everything else. You, know, you want to try to commit your crimes uh, out of sight. We're so not suggesting that ideal. you should commit crimes, of course. No, but if you do. But if you do, then you should. Do them at night. Shouldn't no, you? Don't. I think he said don't. should Yeah, you that's what I meant them. to say. Should you do Smashing them? Pumpkins will only come out at night on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. Hey, Nick here. Sometimes I interview people not for the radio, but for the downtown Orlando community paper. One such person was actor and playwright Lily E. Garnett whose show War Paint is going to be at the Fringe this year. She wrote it. She stars in it. It's going to be a really good show. I know that because she told me all about it, and she also told Ashley Ann Gardner, host of the Orlando Theater Hour here on WPRK. That's Monday mornings at 9 a.m. right after my show. You can listen to that entire interview. I encourage you to do so. You can also listen to all past and future episodes at orlandotheaterhour.com. That's Orlando. T-H-E-A-T-R-E hour.com Back to the show.
Stanley Wilson on WPRK at Winter Park, Florida. You might recognize that from an old TV show that was the M Squad theme. Good morning, my name is Nick. You're listening to Odd Numbers. This is a bi-weekly, every other week show that I do. I generally have a returning guest come on. We have a theme, and this week's theme is literary crime. So the theme for the music this hour will be uh, music that maybe we could commit some crimes to. Music to crime to. Music to crime by. Crime, Aww. yeah. That's so sweet. My name is Nick, and my special guest this week is Ryan Rivas. You heard his dulcet tones just a second ago. Let's hear him again. Hi. Hey, very nice. Very <laughs> dulcet. Some of the most dulcet tones I've heard today. Yeah. It's, an, it's from eating all that dulce de leche. I shouldn't have done that so early in the morning. Wow. And in such quantities. That is so very good. That I wish I'd thought of that, actually. Now that... Uh, <laughs> I can admit that to you, though. We're friends. Yeah. And so when you do something... You your guests all the sweets to get them wired at 6 yeah. in the morning. Oh, for know. sure. Dolce de leche and a lot of creme brulee. Yeah. I'll be yeah. honest with you. Um, actually, speaking of desserts, uh, this past Saturday was National Peach Cobbler Day. Was it? So I don't know if you remember from being on the show the first time, but one of the questions I typically ask people is about cobbler. And so since uh, uh, April 13th was National Peach Cobbler Day, I took the responses from 13 people and put that together as an episode, a special episode. Nice. So it's very interesting to hear about how people feel about cobbler, about pie, about desserts, about warm fruit. That was that had a visceral reaction from at least one guest yeah. as well. So you can listen to all that as well as the rest of this episode, all of this episode, Subscribe on iTunes if you want to, on Google, on all of the other networks, um, and go to toacertaindegree.com. I really didn't think that through when I named it because you have to go to toacertaindegree.com. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's all fine. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about Borough Press because you want to learn more about publishing in Orlando and the things that are coming out from Borough Press, and the events, the incredible events we talked a little bit about last hour, and we'll talk again uh, later this hour, borrowpress.com, B-U-R-R-O-W, press.com. Yeah, double Yes, don't forget about that. We talked a little bit about crimes of the future, so I'm a big science fiction guy, and one of the ones I wanted to talk about was sort of this uh, short story from a writer but it's a writer I don't want to mention on the air. So it's always mm. interesting when you uh, read a book. So one of his books is one of my favorite books. It came at a similar time in my life when I was a kid, and I read it. And it was about feeling like an outsider and being really smart. And not that I was particularly smart, but I always felt like an outsider. Sure. I always felt like there was something about me that was different and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But it turns out the writer and oh, I see where this is going. has his own thoughts and opinions on things that I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's difficult to make that, you know, it was a book that I wanted to and I actually did before I realized what kind of guy he was, I bought for my son. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking about this short story, which I love, I love short stories where the set, whether it's science fiction or anything else, where it builds the whole thing up for a twist at the end. I'm a sucker for that. Mm -hmm. And this one was particularly good. 
So I don't know, do you have, like, when you're, not necessarily your heroes, you know, they always say don't meet your heroes. Yeah. But when you have an author that turns out to do something in real life that is questionable at best and just mm-hmm. god-awful at worst, mm-hmm. what, how do you cope with that? Like, how would you, you know, if you're, and I'll bring up Douglas Adams again, unfortunately he passed away, but, mm-hmm. you know, Hitchhiker's Guide, was a huge influence on my life, and that's not who I'm talking about here, yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if something had come out about him being a terrible person, which he was not, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to uh, put that as an asterisk out there. Uh, has that ever happened with a writer that you read maybe when you were younger and you realize now that mm-hmm. maybe he or she um, did something or portrayed people poorly or something along those lines? What do you do? Like, how do you come to terms with that? Yeah, that's a that's a heavy question. Um, I mean, we get, the, the we get most, heavy here. The most recent sort of like outing of a, of a bad dude um, in terms of like serial abusive behavior is Gina Diaz, and I know right. a lot of people are sort of you know ditching the ditching their you know I can't read him. I'll, I'll confess it. When when the time came, I was like, you know what? Read this book. Don't need to return to it. Um, and yeah, because they're, I don't know, it's, it's hard. Like, and for me, I don't have like literary idols per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have idols, uh, in general, I guess. I mean, you got rid of all your golden idols. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I was going to smash them as, yeah. as the iconoclasts did. Um, so it, it's kind of a hard question for me in the sense that I, I, I try not to like elevate people and, and idealize them to that level, and maybe that's just the, the sort of like what happens in the literary world because you know you meet one writer and you're like, you meet two writers, you meet three writers, and you're like, man, we're all just weirdos. Um, right. So the behavior, you know, I think, I think that there should be a, a sort of especially for a lauded writer who is you know given these you know fellowships and grants and teaching positions and things. I think for somebody who essentially is, you know, comes out to be a bad person, you know, stop, you know, putting their book face out. Don't give them the speaking gig, you know, let them stew and figure their own stuff out. Um, There should be, you know, well, I do think we, we often as a culture, you know, are, game to ostracize and punish, you know, um, I think that, that the sort of stuff that you see online and stuff isn't, isn't as, isn't necessarily productive, you know, public, public shaming. I think there's a degree to which that can be helpful and a degree to which it's not. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this because I haven't, I haven't a, thought about this one too much. So let yeah. me talk. Let I mean, me don't be a bad person, I think, because and, and if you're going to be a really bad person, I'm not going to read your work. Perfect. So let me talk about it because I've already read it. I've already like mm-hmm. suggested it. You know, it's, it's good to not name the person. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the Don't central conceit, if we're talking about literary crimes and we're talking about science fiction, the central com- conceit is around cloning. Mm-hmm. So there's already a lot of question whether it comes to genetic modification or clones in general, uh, because if you were to clone so- your body for organs, for example. There's some questions around whether that is a crime 
you know, you could call it against nature, but it's also you're harvesting organs from a living thing, mm -hmm. maybe potentially with a consciousness. But this was interesting because I like the idea of using stories to help us shine a light on what the central questions are. Mm -hmm. Because you could say, you could just take a step back and really go to, well, if it helps people, why not? But you have to have that story. You have to put it in a context for people to sometimes understand it. I know that that's, that's what I need, mm -hmm. whether it comes to um, things that I don't understand because I'm not in that position. We were just talking off the air about listening to uh, podcasts that relate stories of uh, uh, racism or something along those lines, like stuff I haven't experienced directly that I have to understand through other people's eyes and, the, and their stories. So this one was, the conceit was, not only is there cloning, but it's available to the hyper-wealthy. But once you're cloned, the old you is still there. So let's say you go out and you're very wealthy and you live a life and you get older and you get unhealthier because of the lifestyle that you live. You're cloned to a younger version of you and all your memories are moved over to that new clone, younger, better, faster, all of those things, mm -hmm. the new clone walks out, what happens to the other person? Mm -hmm. So that was the central conceit to the story, and I thought that was really interesting because that made me think about, okay, well then, you know, if you are cloned or if your memory is transferred from one to the other, what does that become? Is that murder now to get mm -hmm. rid of mm -hmm. that quote-unquote old person? Mm -hmm. uh, because in the, in the story, they were without rights, they yeah. were without anything because the new person has essentially taken over their position in society and all of their the legal ramifications that go along with that. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So and I think that was that an exploration. Book you speak of I have not read, but okay. I know most people have, and I haven't. But that's me. So the book. This was one of his short stories. Oh, it was a short story. Yeah, this was a short story. The book is. Uh, I it haven't is, read is any very of that different. Guy's stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard because I would. I would recommend it. It's mm -hmm. it's such a seminal work in well, science fiction. And, and well, interestingly, here, there, so there's an opportunity when someone is a bad person, or more specifically, when when the badness seeps into the writing. I think maybe the most famous uh, example is probably Lovecraft. You know, unapologetic oh. racist. Um, but the redemption can come sometimes. Uh, on a literary level or, you know, within the field from other writers who then create counter-narratives. So uh, Victor Lavelle, for example, has a book called the, I believe it's, so see, I'm not super familiar with Lovecraft. I'm getting out of my, my element here. But I believe it's The Ballad of Black Tom, which is sort of like takes the Lovecraftian story and tropes and like flips it on its head, um, which is great. Um, one of the one of the examples I had... Um, is uh, as a, of a counter narrative that involves that happens to involve crimes is a short story called Outtakes from the Ideological Origins of the American Revolution, which um, follows this um, enslaved person who becomes a, who escapes um, and escapes again and escapes again and essentially cannot be contained. Although eventually he just goes on this crime spree, <laughs> like you know, like really messing things up and you're like, oh, I don't know if I actually admire this character anymore. But it's all set to the backdrop of the American Revolution. And okay. Some of his escapes are essentially facilitated because of the confusion around pre-revolutionary, like on the eve of a war kind of thing with with Britain. Um, you know, 
this guy's slipping and There's a lot of things happening. So, yeah. Yeah. So there are counter narratives, I think, that we can look to. And, and I also think um, now that I've had, you know, three more minutes to think about it, um, when, when, when someone comes out as a bad person, um, you can, you know, you don't necessarily have to write a counter narrative to that, but you can then say, okay, why have we been paying so much attention to this person? You know, um, and who who should we be paying attention to instead? You know, um, who are the, you know, who are the peripheral writers that have not quite reached this level of success who could be, you know, explored and acknowledged and rewarded, et cetera, for, for their work? Um, and, uh, yeah, and in particular women writers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what was com- complicated about the Juna Diaz thing is that, you know, he's a writer of color. And so you're like, oh, man, he's like, he's made it, you know, he's, but like, you know, on top of that, he has, you know, used his position of power to take advantage of, of other people and specifically women. And so who are the, you know, and I, where is he from? He's Dominican, right? So who are like the Dominican women writers that we can, you know, celebrate yeah. in, in, as opposed to lauding this one person, like let's let's find a different place to party with our with our reading habits, you know that kind of thing. So, anyway, yeah, and I'm not saying that as an author, you know, I think this is something that comes up as a trope when it comes to celebrities. Just keep your mouth shut and do the thing you're good at. That's certainly not what I'm saying. If you want to talk about politics, if you mm-hmm. want to talk about things that are important to you, uh, whether they're religious in nature or anything else, I'm fine with that. What I think happens is once you realize that an author, if you only read a book and then you find out that the author has significantly differing opinions from you, whether yeah, left, yeah. right, center, mm-hmm. or otherwise, mm-hmm. that's when that's kind of the struggle that I'm talking about yeah. in terms of uh, uh, trying to come to grips and, and still referencing that person, going back and reviewing why that work was so influ- was so influential, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's switch over. Let's just talk about your sci-fi. Uh, yeah, story I got a sci-fi right pick. Yeah, um, this one is, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, like sci-fi is not necessarily my wheelhouse, you know. Uh, but I don't discriminate when it comes to a good story, yeah. and so. Which is just all science fiction should be is a good story about good characters just happen to set on a moon. Right. And in, in this case, um, the author is, is, is a famous one, Samuel R. Delaney. And this is a specific story that I, I came across in my MFA studies that um, Teresa Carmody recommended um, to read. And it's called... Uh, time as a he- time considered as a helix of semi-precious stones, um, and I don't know if that's like floating out on the internet, but it's in a collection now called I and Gomorrah, um, and I love the story because it's not about like future crimes or futuristic crimes. Mm-hmm. It's about like today's crime. Like it's about a criminal underbelly. Um, it follows a sort of confidence man as he rises to. Uh, prominence as a crime boss, essentially, um, doing typical stuff, theft and, and you know, racketeering and, you know, Bible extortion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but set amid, you know, a universe, I think, it, you know, the main action 
surrounds this sort of like one thing he's trying to sell these these like I think they're stones um and uh in like the fictional city of Bologna which I think comes up again in some of Delaney's other stories again like I said not my wheelhouse Mm -hmm. but um and so but the way like just the the way that it is in the future there's like copters you can jump on a copter and fly around there's he ends up opening like I think it's like an ice cream or like a soda shop or something on a different planet which is like a front um I forget which planet it is um towards the end when he's like a a prominent crime boss I like that idea Um, because you know money laundering if we're doing it on Mars it's much harder to track it down so something to consider for you criminals out there yeah and um but what's cool about it is as as any story narrated by a con man should um it's just the voice is so compelling. Um, and not only a con man, but a master of disguise. You know, like, we never really know the dude's name, but he keeps popping up as, you know, Harry Harold Clancy Everett or Hank Colifroy Eccles um, or Harmony C. Eventide, all these H-C-E H-C, yeah. uh, names. And stylistically, it's so... Um, the narrator here, you know, HCE, it's just so charismatic. Um, and even on like a craft level, um, we get these interesting little moments, like, um, after you get the introduction to the character, which is about a page, there's a section break. And then we get a new, a new section that appears to be in the third person. Like, Oh, we've switched narration. Um, but it's essentially, the narrator who's always been there describing himself as a personality changing out of one sort of disguise into another in an airport mm. bathroom. And so it's like the, the, the prose sort of like reflects the action in a way. And it does that again in another, um, in another scene where in this parenthetical digression, like a fight breaks out. Um, and then like, it's sort of like described in reverse, um, in sort of almost like unfolding in slow motion as this sort of like a side and, as if the narrator is sort of like outside time, um, which is kind of cool. But then on the crime level, um, it's just this super simple thing. You know, he's trying to fence some goods to a wealthy uh, guy. I forget the guy's name. So he he ends up going to this, uh, you know, uber elite party in some high rise and um, in the city. But he's friends with uh, these these singers they call them singers they're like poets and they sing um these songs which are essentially like the songs of the moment like cultural songs and they're they, they've essentially been elevated to the level of celebrities and given these sort of like mystical properties mm. um the singers also are the people who have the code words and every month or so they sing a new code word which is you know code word they get spread among the criminal underbelly so they know they're dealing with other criminals and whatnot, um, which is a really interesting sort of system. And he describes that system within the story. Um, and, you know, un, I think like the best sci-fi stories um, and the best sort of like genre stories, um, but particularly in a in a story that builds a new world, it's done as the action is going on. You know, it's not like, let me take three pages to explain the rules of this. It's you just kind of get thrown in and the author does a good job uh, in context of making you understand. Right. Um, and in this case, it's, you know, some of the things and the rules of the world are left a little bit 
of a mystery, but they do kind of come together with more references and clues. So that's cool. Um, but at the end of the day, this wild, wildly imaginative sort of, you know, sci-fi story is just about, you know, this guy who becomes a crime boss and so, you know, towards the end he's like, you know, I'm kind of too old for this. <laughs> like, do I really want to keep doing this? You know, does crime really pay? I don't know. So, um, let me go to my ice cream shop on the other planet. Yeah, it's this very typical story, um, dressed up in such a way that uh, it makes it its own, you know, beautiful thing. So that's, I, I, I like it. And it's told really well and everything, you know, blah, blah, blah. I really want to read it now. Well, uh, here you go. Thank you. And I have a book in my hands. I appreciate that. Uh, so let's listen to another song. This is Music to Crime By. Oh, yeah. And uh, let us listen to the 77 Sunset Strip Cha-Cha. WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. If you want to learn anything more about the show, to a certain degree.com is where to go. You're listening to Odd Numbers with Ryan Revis and me, Nick. That's good enough. Hello, Nick. <laughs> This episode was recorded live on April 15th, 2019 on WPRK 91.5 FM. You will hear things on WPRK that you won't hear anywhere else. Here's an example. It's Wednesday morning. You're driving to work. You need something with a little emotion to get you going. Hey, you're in luck. Check out some of Central Florida's best soul with Nina, the host of Sunrise Soul. Wednesday mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. If you're not in the car, if you don't have an FM receiver of some kind, stream it on WPRK.org slash listen live. There's always something interesting happening, so listen early and often. Back to the show. Warren Barker on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was the Sunset Strip Cha-cha. Good morning. My name is Nick. I'm here every Monday from 7 to 9, and I have a very special guest, as I do every Monday, Ryan Revis. You say that to all the guests. I literally do. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you are all special to me. The look on your face is great. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. You caught me. <laughs> no, it was more like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Uh, we are here talking about literary crimes. That's the theme for this episode. Every episode is kind of a different theme uh, when it comes to odd numbers. And Ryan was actually previously on the show uh, in the interview format, so the regular to a certain degree format, if you uh, would like to listen to that. He talks about Burr Press and some other things about him specifically. You can listen to that at toacertaindegree.com. But right now, if we're talking about literary crimes, I want to talk about a short story writer that I really enjoy. His stuff got turned into a musical, Alfred Damon Runyon, known better uh, by the name Damon Runyon. Um, he was an author, he was a newspaper man, and he met a lot of characters and caricatures in, I would say, Prohibition-era uh, New York City. So a lot of people who were con artists, a lot of people who uh, ran numbers games or illegal crap games and stuff like that, craps games. I'm mm. not sure how to say it, if it's the yeah, plural. Yeah, it is the plural. Yeah. Crap. I like craps, crap games. Crap, crap, crap games I play quite a bit. 
Um, I thought it was funny that since he wrote so much about New York and the characters around New York, that he was actually born in Manhattan, Kansas. Mm. Uh, in 1880, passed away in 1946. The Guys and Dolls uh, musical is was inspired by two of his short stories. But there's something about the way he was able to capture the people so um, so well. And he took these rogues, he took what were essentially bad people, and he made them likable. And so that's always, that's always, that always gets me when you have a protagonist that you know is bad, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a, a smuggler or, you know, the godfather to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you're rooting for some of those characters and, and many of those characters. Um, so being able to do that effectively, like the story you were just talking about before the break, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could take somebody bad and make them, I, I can take the inept people, right? But not the ones that are inherently doing, a, doing crime for the most part, mm-hmm. even if it's mm-hmm. lower level crime. Do you think that's hard to do? Do you think that, you know, trying to write for maybe not the evil arch-villain Moriarty level, mm-hmm. but just the, you know, the bad person trying to put yourself into their shoes? Would you be able to do that? Have you done that? Um. I'm not sure if I, no, I don't think I've I've written a story like that, but, um, and I, I do think it's probably difficult, um, but to the degree that you attempted, I think as, as, as a writer, um, and clearly the effect of Runyon's work is, is made it, has made an impression on you as a reader. Um, but I think to the extent that you're going to write anything, you need to become familiar with the topic. And so, um, you know, why do people commit crimes? Why are, why do people commit petty crimes? You know, what is the source of this? Um, what are the origins? Is there trauma? Is there, you know, societal, uh, inequities that, you know, create, uh, you know, that would cause someone to do a crime of opportunity? You know, is it, you know, is it crime as a, as a commentary on American capitalism, like there's all kinds of ways that you can um, find a reason to make somebody, uh, you know, a three-dimensional person mm-hmm. or even a even a sort of symbol. Um, but I think you just have to. I'm not sure where the what the entry point is for a crime writer. Um, but w- like any good writer and any good story, there's got to be some. You're talking about people, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's got to be a story, a reason, you know, even the worst characters. And so I guess I should backtrack and say I do write about, I do have something that I've been working on for a while now, not about a criminal per se, mm-hmm. but about, um, not you know, not a great person and really just sort of an incompetent um, to the point of it being dangerous kind of person um and how that you know how in a sort of like tribalistic society that that incompetence can be enabled um because of fear and so um and i i struggle with you know writing a character that i want don't ever want to meet you know don't want to would rather see just not exist um and someone you don't want to be right certainly not yeah no um, and so, yeah, I think 
I think that the for crime novels, the question is just sometimes as simple as a matter of plot. I've created a compelling character who is a criminal. You know, for other novels, it's a little bit more um, questionable. And I have a great anti-hero, if that's the way to describe it, example too that we can get to after we talk more about Runyon, and maybe we can sort of explore. I think the question at the center of, of, of all these sort of anti-hero type characters is, you know, um, okay, you've, you've done the work of the writer and found the humanity. What is the what is the message now? Like, what is the, why are you showing us this character? Why are we exploring this character? So. Well, and for him, it was, he was a reporter first. Mm-hmm. And so he went down and met all these people. And I, I would imagine in many cases turned them into caricatures for his stories, mm-hmm. which were very formulaic. You kind of knew what was happening. Sometimes they ended well for the character. Sometimes they ended very poorly because it was more of a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that they were doing something that they probably shouldn't have or, or shouldn't be doing in that uh, day and age because of the laws and the rules and the expectations of what people were supposed to do. So, for example, it's prohibition, mm-hmm. so you're not supposed to have any alcohol. Right. But they were looking actively looking for alcohol. The entire plot of Guys and Dolls is that they're <laughs> trying to have a craps game mm-hmm. so that they can, uh, because there's all these betters in from out of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a side note is they make a bet if one guy can seduce a very, very straight-laced, uh, God-fearing woman at that time. Mm. Um, and it ends well in, I believe it ends well in the... Um, uh, in the musical, of course, because it's a musical. And oh, I shouldn't say that because some musicals are kind of dark. Uh, but I don't think it ends that well in the book, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. But, uh, yeah, I think he was... It, it was interesting to me because I love the idea of the voyeurism of the story, of looking in on people who I wouldn't normally look in on. Mm-hmm. And imagine in that time and place where it's okay to say doll and be, sorry, it's not okay, obviously, to be misogynistic. It was the norm. It was more of the norm. And you could read that without looking at it and going, um, why are you writing this now, for example? Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, so that voyeuristic look at those characters and as a writer, looking at it and going admiring the way that he's able to uh, create them based on his actual experiences and flesh them out. Mm-hmm. Right, so they're not just the caricatures. They don't just have funny names and say weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, they there's something more to them than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and hopefully that then removes the level of voyeurism too. I mean, to some extent, any any novel is a vo- reading any novel is like a voyeuristic endeavor. Sure. But reading a novel in, in which characters come from a place that you're unfamiliar with. Um, Hopefully the the novel rises to the level of showing the reader something that makes more of a connection and doesn't keep a separation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, depending on the goals of the novel, I guess. But ultimately, if we're speaking of in broad terms, one of you know the goals of literature is connection and, and empathy, right? And so you would hope that the that you that 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 you're not that it isn't just sort of like cultural tourism, right? Even if we're talking about that's that sends a different 
different things come to mind when you say that, but like, you know, looking sure. down on 1950s criminals or whatever, right. like, um, you know, hopefully there's something more than just a, a gawking happening. Right? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like there is in, in these stories too. Um, and it works on so many levels, especially when you go back to like the 50s and stuff to read and, and in, in genre, like genre tropes, like when things are predictable, in Sherlock even, Sherlock stories, like those things are ripe with like deeper cultural logic, you know, um, that we, with the benefit of, of hindsight and, and time, um, can kind of examine um, on multiple levels. So you can appreciate the story for its characters while understanding how it's problematic or how, you know, the plot works to, you know, advance the myth of meritocracy or something, you know, that kind of mm. stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah. End of digression. Very nice. nice. Well, you know, talking about literary crimes, I was looking back at Damon Runyon. And literary crimes, I generally think big crimes, big robberies, you know, elaborate and complicated. And it, you know, there's a mystery to it that you have to unravel. Uh, murder on an express of some kind, <laughs> generally, is what I think of. Uh, stealing. Train uh, crimes. A lot of train crimes. Uh, stealing the Eiffel Tower, mm -hmm. uh, which was in the novelization of the movie Despicable Me, of course, so it was <laughs> a literary crime. And I'm Greek, so, you know, Trojan horses, Sure, of course. Um, what I like about Damon Minion is there's a lot of scams and confidence games. So yeah. there's murder and there is other stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I want to play a quick game because what yeah. it, I went off on a tangent last night, of course, mm -hmm. as I sometimes do before the night before a show, even though I'm ready. I stay up till one in the morning looking up different things. <laughs> As uh, you do. So scams and confidence games. I wanted to just go through and list three things. It's kind of a one of these things is not like the other. You tell me which is not a commonly known con. Not a commonly known con. Yeah. So this is pick the one that is not uh, some sort of con man scheme that you would normally see. Okay. On a day-to-day -day basis, we're back in the uh, you know the twenties, thirties. Are we 40s. implying that I know all the cons because I'm a con man? I'm not implying that. Okay, I'm just wondering. Okay, are you ready? I think so. The Spanish prisoner, the chiffon cat, or the cackle bladder. So which is not a con? Which is not a con out of those three? <laughs> I'm gonna go with the the cackle bladder because it's a little ridiculous sound, it does sound ridiculous but i wouldn't put it past the it is an actual con. oh my god <laughs> so the chiffon cat is a vintage pop-up vendor here in orlando oh sorry uh, <laughs> the spanish the spanish prisoner is actually the older version of the nigerian prince scam oh. so people would be told that there was oh you know there's this this person of royalty who's being held up somewhere they just oh, need a couple yeah. of bucks <laughs> and they'll be fine the cackle bladder is a fake murder and so they had a bladder full of chicken blood, and that's why it's called the cackle bladder. So you would accidentally hit somebody or something would happen, somebody would appear to be murdered, and you'd extort money from someone uh, to get them off the hook or that's something brilliant. along those lines. Okay, are you ready for another? I believe so. The Kansas City Shuffle, mm -hmm. the Honey Pot, <laughs> or the Bama Panna? You're placing these things third... On purpose, aren't you? No, I'm gonna stick with it. I don't know. I don't think the Bama Panna is a is a hustle. That is correct. That's right. another vintage pop up that uh, that was here in Orlando. That's no longer here. Uh, the Kansas City Shuffle is a fun one. It's where you are. You know you're in a con 
-hmm. but you think it's going one way, and it's really going uh -huh. the other. Uh, the honeypot is, uh, of course, a seduction technique mm -hmm. uh, so that you could either lure somebody for some reason, for whatever reason. All right, last one. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. The Owl's Attic, <laughs> the Avalon Exchange, or the Plato's Closet? <laughs> Uh, the Plato's Closet. That's correct. Actually, all three of all those are say vintage <laughs> stores like, here in Orlando. I'm like, I've seen signs for these places before. When I, once I started reading the names of cons, of commonly known cons, <laughs> I was like, all of these, the, the Spanish Prisoner, mm -hmm. the Kansas City Shuffle, the Honey Pot, they would make such great store names. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so yeah. just something yeah. to think about. The odd numbers. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one as well. Well, let's listen to another song. Okay. Shall we? Yeah. Uh, okay, so along with the... Uh, oh, yeah, let's play this one. Jimmy Smith, Walk on the Wild Side. Again, uh, music to crime to. You're listening to a certain degree. This is Odd Numbers on WPRK, Wayne Park, Florida. The To Be Decided is a YouTube channel where hosts Miller and Davis tell some stories, make music videos, review songs, and create the occasional documentary. For example, one of those documentaries is about the Japanese rock folk band Fishmans. If you haven't heard of them before, it's a really interesting story and some fantastic music. You may have just found your new favorite group. Miller is also responsible for all the bumper music on this episode, in case you were wondering. Check out youtube.com slash the to be decided for more. Back to the show. Jimmy Smith on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, one of my favorite all time instrumentalist musicians uh, because of his work on the Hammond B3 organ, which is one of the most beautiful sounding instruments of all time, in my humble opinion, rock on the wild side. Good morning, my name is Nick. Our show with Ryan Revis, Odd Numbers, literary crime themed is almost over. We're gonna have to get out of here soon because the Orlando Theater Hour with Ashley Ann Gardner is coming up next and you should stick around for that. Ryan, we need to talk about some of the events and stuff coming up from Borough Press, but first, let's just wrap up literary crimes. Oh, okay. Um, well, I was. I, there are so many. Rather than go on a long, depressing just list rant, them all as I did. real quick. Yeah, I'm going to give you the title or of some the statistics. Book. How many in how many books was murder committed? Uh, roughly seventy-two percent of books. Oh, okay. Which are a murder. Yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah. Um, I thought it would be fun to, to play low. a game with you, though, and to give you the title of the book and you guess what the central or inciting crime is. Okay. Um, I like these this. are all trick questions. Perfect. Because I did not pick, you know, obvious, obvious. things. Um, so, so there's not a murder on the Orient Express somewhere no, in here. There, there are deaths. Murders occur. These, these all mostly all involve a kind of death. Okay. Maybe not the first one. This one's the trickiest one. Down the Rabbit Hole by Juan Pablo Villalobos. Down the Rabbit Hole. I think that that is a Watership Down style book where a society of rabbits <laughs> has begun and taken over. But you would think it's murder because Watership Down, obviously hyper-violent uh, book mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. cartoon that traumatized many a child. And I think they might be making it again. Who knows? 
Who's to say? Live action stuff. Ooh, yeah. That would be worse. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the crime was actually uh, blackmail. So it was rabid mm -hmm. blackmail. They had some pictures of a rabbit and a raccoon, and they blackmailed the family. So it's quite possible that you are correct. Um, in this book, it's told from the perspective of, like, the nine-year-old son of a drug cartel kingpin. Oh. And so lots of crimes are happening around him, but they're not processed that way, so we'll never actually know. Yeah. Okay, I feel like... There I is a hippo involved, though. Half a point for that one. Yeah, I would say half a point. Okay, great. Next book. The Third Policeman by Flynn O'Brien. Ah, uh, The Third Policeman. So that is a crime of passion, but the passion involves money... So it's uh, dirty cops doing dirty things. Almost. Crime of money, money-driven crime. Yep. Garden variety murder. Only when they go back to... GVM. Yeah, GVM. Yep. They go back to the house. Turns out maybe the guy isn't dead and they've entered, the narrator has entered a kind of surreal wormhole in which there are uh, absurd policemen uh, in charge of a barrack riding around on bicycles uh, and... Um, Maybe he's in a kind of limbo or hell. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Also with footnotes by a um, a fictional scientist that has inspired the sort of the narrator's sort of thinking about reality. I like it. A Jacob's Ladder kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, last one. Elect Mr. Robinson for a Better World by Donald Antrim. Ooh, so that sounds kind of sci-fi-y. Maybe like a Manchurian Candidate type of situation where the person is not in full control uh, or is being controlled uh, by illicit or dark forces. Close. No, but no when cigar. you say that, yeah. it doesn't sound <laughs> like not, I'm close at all. It's, it's way off. Yeah. Um, it is a sort of like dystopian, it's like a surreal dystopian world, which it's probably a Florida town. It's a coastal town. Sure. Um, the inciting incident is that the mayor has shot stinger missiles into a park, killing several people. Um, the Did the park have it coming? Yeah, no, it seems to be a random act of violence. Okay. Um, and as a sort of, and this is all, I'm describing the first four pages. This is kind of the inciting incident. Um, the Rotarians, who have become some sort of like nefarious cult in, in the culture of this town, decide that they will draw and quarter the mayor in the park as punishment. And um, Pete Robinson, who is the local sort of intellectual who happens to be a uh, uh, scholar of medieval torture, suggests that they use their Subarus and, and SUVs to, and, you know, cars to pull apart uh, the mayor instead of horses. Um, and that is, those are the two sort of inciting crimes. Wow. It's, a, it's a great book, though. Like, it, um, it, you know how, like, a lot of well-meaning liberals will think, how do poor people vote against their own interests? I just don't understand it, you know? Well, this is sort of an example of, like, a, a white middle-class town that maybe has, like, a libertarian bent. They vote to defund all the schools so there's no more school. And essentially, and that sort of, like, happens also in the first few pages. Like, that has happened, in like, just off screen. And we get this picture of this, like, ultra, like, this town that has slipped into, like, savagery. They're creating... Um, 
like moats with bamboo spikes around their homes, you know, but they're also saying, I just, you know, I just love my home, you know, that kind of thing. There's like, war pe- someone has buried landmines in the park, you know, it's like ultra paranoid, um, uh, ultra sort of violent <laughs> town so as as their tennis courts. It's an allegory for something. Yeah, I would say, okay. I would say it's sort of a, a satire. Surre- I don't know if it's a, du- there's a direct allegory, uh, but yeah, it's it's so it's if late capitalism were a meme now, I might say it's sort of a, a an allegory of late capitalism. But nice, uh, yeah, and uh, it's a feel good story. Too. Did I mention it's hilarious? Because it is a hilarious <laughs> book. It actually it does is. sound kind of funny. Yeah, it's absurd. It's okay. absurd. All right, yeah. Ryan Revis, we have to go. Orlando okay. Theater Hour is coming up. Well, that's good, and you can listen to that I, on I the same station that you're listening to this. Great. Don't have to touch my dial. Tuesday, May 7th. Yeah, that's Loose Lips. Every first Tuesday, we have a reading series called Loose Lips. It happens at Little Indies around 8 p.m. And uh, different hosts picks different writers to read work inspired by the last 30 days of news. And I think that if you want to be a part of that, that's a good way to go and take a look at what it is. Make sure first that you're interested in the format and stuff. And then who would they talk to if they wanted to host or they wanted to read in an upcoming event um so the reading can be tricky since we pick the hosts but sometimes we'll just you know wedge somebody in there mm-hmm. because we uh ideally it's a it's a it's a platform for for people who haven't read at a borough press event to read um so we want more people so just email me okay ryan at boroughpress.com b-u-r-r-o-w yeah press.com yeah um, I think people should do the research to find out how it's spelled. If you're really going to go to the... No, I'm just kidding. Well, um, because I'm starting a competing borough press doctor. Oh, um, that makes sense. And I'm spelling it in, in different ways. With three R's? With three R's and two W's. <laughs> but at the beginning. Uh-huh. And no vowels. No. Yeah. <laughs> a, it is a new dating app, borough. Yeah. All right, let's not do that. Uh, Saturday, May 25th. Yeah, at Mead Garden. Mm -hmm. Not Mead Gardens, just like Burrow is not Burrows, which is a common mistake. Yep. That's our, this is really why we've gotten together. No, we're partnering with Mead Garden to host a book release party for Orlando Poet Laureate, Susan Lilly, her first book, which we're publishing this month, um, which you can get a pre-order and get it soon now from wherever books are sold, but get it through our website. Um... Venus in Retrograde is the poetry collection, and we're going to have a nice party uh, afternoon swing. That sounds fancier than it is with some music, and Susan will do a brief reading, and uh, it'll be great. Great. And then learn more about subscriptions to the books that you publish at boroughpress.com. Follow on all the social medias for other upcoming events, including Functionally Literate. Mm -hmm. And if you missed any of the show, please go and subscribe to To a Certain Degree or To a Certain Degree. And you can listen to this episode early next week. Thank you so much, Ryan. Let's shake hands on the air. Oh, okay. Did everybody hear that? So much good radio. Good. Uh, To take us out, Stool Pigeon from Irving Johnson. Or Joseph, sorry. On WPRK. (laughs) Irving, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. Don't commit crimes. On WPRK, Warner Park, Florida. Yeah, just a reminder, don't commit crimes. You've been listening to Odd Numbers. But maybe do. And that's the show. Thanks for listening to Odd Numbers, episode 16. Where do you go from here? Borough Press always has interesting and thought-provoking events coming up. So get over to their website, borougpress.com, B-U-R-R-O-W. 
while you're there, subscribe to get all of their books for the year. It's a great deal. They mail them directly to you. It also makes a really good gift. I mean, for yourself or someone else or both. Also visit toacertaindegree.com. That's T-O-A, certaindegree.com. Thanks for listening. I'll miss our little talks.